Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. If you didn't know, it is Mother's Day. Uh, Minju is going to be our latest mother again. Um, she's pregnant with her second child, so congratulations to Minju and Simon. Very appropriate to be serving on Mother's Day, uh, which is the life of servanthood that you face from this point onwards again. Uh, at New Life, we gather to the glory of God and the gospel of grace in every stage of life, and that does include uh, motherhood, which we recognize in particular this morning. Um, as Minji mentioned, we've been in our series through Ruth, and we're in our final chapter today. Um, so it'll be this week, next week, and then we'll finish with Ruth. Um, so our series, Loving the Outsider, our series uh, which examines God's love for the insider gone out and the outsider never invited in. And we've had a bit of a cliffhanger in recent weeks as we've been waiting to find out, you know, there's this question that's hung in the air, who is Ruth going to marry? Because we're pretty sure Ruth is going to marry. Uh, it's a little bit spoiled for you if you do have CSB Bibles and it's got like the little chapter uh, subheading, you know. Ruth and Boaz get married. Um, but we've heard about a new possible suitor in our recent weeks. And it's been a little bit of a contrast to the earlier chapters where we weren't quite sure, you know, there was no hope, it seemed, for Ruth to remarry at all. You know, Naomi made that very clear to Ruth and to Orpah um, back all the way back in chapter one. And certainly uh, that meant that there would be no hope for her to have a child at all. Um, that's how we felt to carry on Naomi's family line and legacy. Now though, as we start chapter four, suddenly there's two family redeemers available for her. You know, we read about these two family redeemers, Boaz, and as you can see from the uh, title of the sermon today, Mr. What's-His-Name is what we're calling him, Mr. What's-His-Name. But before we take a look at him, before we take a look at everything, uh, why don't we pray together, and then we'll get into things. Father, you are our rock and our redeemer, and you know everything about us, and you love us even in spite of this. We thank you for this. We thank you, Lord, for your great love, the way that you illuminate uh, yourself in our lives, God, in our hearts, that we might know you. So many times, Lord, uh, there are other things that are calling for our attention, and we willingly give ourselves over to all these different things, all these different distractions, Yet this morning, we do ask that you would uh, turn our heart's gaze back to you, back to your son, Jesus. Make it, Lord, so that our lives sing of his grace. And just as uh, all of creation cries out of your glory, may we do the same as well, God. May we be like the little children who stand in awe and wonder at your great creation, just awestruck by the fact that you have created it all. May we think this way about our little lives as well, God, as we gather together this morning. Father, would you glorify your son's name through our service today, God? Would you open up our ears that we might be able to hear you and lift up our eyes so that we might see uh, where our help comes from? Would you be with us, Lord? Increase our love for you and help us, Lord, to understand what it is that you're speaking to us through this message. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So who is this new man that appears on the scene? Who is this family redeemer that Boaz wants to meet with? 
Now, we don't know a great deal about this man. We don't even know his name, as you can see. We know the names of Elimelech, we know Malon, we know Helion, and people that were only around very briefly at the beginning of the book of Ruth. They were only around for like a paragraph, and then suddenly they were gone. But this family redeemer who could possibly change the course of Ruth's life, of Naomi's life, we don't even know his name. Boaz tells the man, come over here and sit down. But that's not all he says, as you can see up on the screen there. There's two words at the end of that sentence spoken in Hebrew that are left untranslated as signified by the two dots that you see at the end of that sentence. These Hebrew words are ploni almoni, okay, ploni almoni. Now, what is ploni almoni? Now, when I was living in uh, Korea, my grandma, my, my harmony, which sounds like almoni, uh, my grandma heard me speaking in English, you know, because my English is definitely a lot better than my Korean. And she would kind of imitate me now and again. And she'd be like, shala, 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 you know, and she'd always make these like little sound effects. In English, we might use the term blah, blah, blah. Ploni almoni is similar to this. It's a meaningless, rhyming phrase. There's no, it's nonsense, okay? And it's kind of like saying so-and-so or such-and-such. You know, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Ploni almoni. Ploni almoni is used for a very nondescript person whose name is unimportant to us. He is, for all intents and purposes, Mr. What's-His-Name. And though we know that he's the potential other suitor for Ruth, we get this feeling right here when we see his name. Surely, Mr. What's-His-Name can't be Mr. Wright for Ruth. Surely not. Now, Boaz and Mr. What's-His-Name, they sit down together at the town gate with the town's elders. This town gate, the town gate is always where legal matters were held, uh, were worked out, and Boaz has gathered a bunch of witnesses to talk about this topic, you know, a bunch of these elders. So read with me verses three to four. He said to the redeemer, Naomi who has returned from the territory of Moab is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. So Boaz makes Mr. What's-His-Name aware of the property that Naomi has to her name. This field that once belonged to her husband Elimelech, but he's passed away. And now that she's in need, remember she has no real steady income source. She has no way to make money to actually buy food. She has to sell the field in order to live. But if there just so happened to be a family redeemer nearby, a family member to Elimelech, he could redeem the field in exchange for redeeming Naomi, for taking care of Naomi for the rest of her life, and basically keep this field, this property, in the family instead of being sold on to some stranger. And this sounds like a pretty good deal. If Mr. What's-His-Name is to buy this field, he would basically get to add this property to his inheritance, then his children 
will one day own this field as part of his family line's legacy. And so, I thought I should inform you, Boaz is saying to Mr. What's-His-Name, you're first in line, are you interested? And if you want, let's make it official in front of all these witnesses, but if you don't want it, let me know, because I'm next in line after you, there's no one else, and I'm gonna buy it if you don't buy it. And of course, Mr. What's-His-Name wants it. You know, what's not to want? Redeem Naomi, this, he just needs to take care of this old lady until you know, she expires, and in return, he gets land that his descendants will live on, will own under his family name. It'll be the field of Mr. What's-His-Name, and his name and his legacy will live on a lot longer than he does. So the cost is worth it. It's a sound investment, no matter how you look at it. Taking care of poor Naomi is worth it. Next couple of verses, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself or I'll ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. So by the way, when you buy this field, Ruth the Moabitess, this is the first time that Boaz has ever called her the Moabitess. He's only ever called her, you know, my daughter. He's only ever, you know, referred to her in familial terms. This widow of the dead man who owned the field, she's part of the deal too. So family redemption now meant not just taking care of the old lady Naomi, it also meant marrying Ruth the outsider and potentially raising a child for the sake of the dead man. And this field will be that child's inheritance when he grows up. All of a sudden, Mr. What's-His-Name does not want this field. It's a trap. You know, not only would he be spending money to help Naomi and Ruth survive, but if he were to marry Ruth and have a child, he wouldn't even have this field in the name at the end of the day. What would be the point? What would be the personal payoff if he were to help these two poor widows? Mr. What's-His-Name seemed more than willing to help Naomi, this poor widow, but only if there was something in it for him and for his family. If it got in the way of his own legacy, if it got in the way of his own name, suddenly he had no interest in helping. Now there's a very dark irony here, because we've been calling him Mr. What's-His-Name just because I think it's fun to, but because we genuinely don't know his name. We have no idea who this man is in Israel's history. In trying to protect his future legacy, his bloodline, and his namesake for his descendants, Mr. What's-His-Name ends up nameless. Boaz, meanwhile, he embraces the opportunity, decides that it's worth his while at great personal cost to help preserve someone else's legacy. Ruth 4.10 reads, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown 
You are witnesses today, and indeed, Malon's name did not disappear. Boaz isn't concerned with his own name. It's the last thing on his mind. He seeks instead to preserve the name of Malon. And the next verse, 411, all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. And so though Boaz doesn't concern himself with it, the townspeople bless him, praying that his name would be well known in Bethlehem. And it is, we know his name. Now let's go forward in time a little bit to when Jesus arrives on the scene. He's born, he lives, he dies, he's resurrected, and this changes the course of humanity, providing hope for the present, and it gives the disciples a new way of life. And now, flash forward again to us sitting here, 2022, new life, Sunday morning, Mother's Day. What does Jesus' resurrection mean for us today? What What does his resurrection mean for our lives? Last April, we talked about where we're heading, you know, ultimately, where we're heading. The Bible tells us that God is newly creating. You know, in Genesis, it talks about creation and the beginning of things, how creation happens, that God created and saw that it was good. Then Isaiah 11, Habakkuk 2, tells us about when God will be all in all, which isn't happening yet. He's not all in all yet. It tells us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. So where do you think we're going? What is the trajectory of our lives here on earth? It's not about waiting until we leave this earth. That's not the point of our lives. When we talk about Christianity, what we look forward to is not Skyland, you know, when we go up into the clouds and live among the angels. That's not what Christianity is. We're not just wasting our time here on earth. We're not in a holding place here on earth. That's not Christianity. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you believe that we receive him as Lord and Savior, that as we're baptized, we're dead to sin and alive with Christ, then you're to live the resurrection here and now. That's the point of our lives. We live the resurrection out here and now. That means saying no to the old way of living and saying yes to this new way of life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're changed so that we can be truly human the way that Jesus was. We talked last year about the new Jerusalem that's still to come that Jesus Christ is coming again to this earth. He's not coming again so that we go away somewhere. We will be resurrected alongside him. We're not being taken away to another world, but Jesus is coming back to rule, to heal, and to transform this world, the one that we live in now, into a world of true justice and joy, 
of peace and love and righteousness. So that means that what we do today matters. The way that we live today matters. What we do, how we interact with other people, how we treat this earth even, it all matters. We live in an overflow of Christ's grace, his generosity. We practice justice and exude peace to those around us. We bring joy to those around us. We give love to those around us. And we preach the good news to those around us that they might come to live in Christ as well. So why is Mr. What's-His-Name, back to Ruth, called Plony Almoni? I have this uh, older friend in ministry. Um, he used to tell Bora me stories from his past. You know, he's much older than we are. And there were really interesting stories about, you know, the people that he knew about church life over the last 40 years of ministry. And so we'd be listening, you know, trying to understand, you know, what makes this man tick? What makes this church work? But sometimes the story would stall for a little while because he couldn't remember the name of some random person from his past. You know, he was much older, right? So what was his, he'd be like, what was his name? You know, he'd be trying to remember for a few minutes and the story would no longer progress and we'd just be sitting there like, and just staring and waiting until finally his wife would politely remind him, it doesn't matter what his name is. You know, they don't need to know his name. And then the story would progress from there. Their names didn't matter to us because we didn't know who they were anyway. Like, who were these people from 40 years ago? We're not running into them in the streets anymore. And knowing their names wouldn't enhance the story for us at all. But more than this, it wouldn't have any real effect on our lives. So Mr. What's-His-Name's name has no real effect on our lives either, on the lives of Naomi, Ruth, their descendants, or us. But a second reason that he has no name, that he's called Plony Almoni, with no name, we can easily put ourselves into his shoes, into his sandals, as it were. So in Ruth 4, we see that Mr. What's-His-Name is the family redeemer that's tasked with, at great cost to himself, alleviating the hardship and the pain of this poor foreigner and this widow. We are Mr. What's-His-Name. Like, place yourself in his shoes for a moment. Can we, at great cost to ourselves, bring redemption to the lost, to the least, and the last? Or will we, like Mr. What's-His-Name does, ask, well, what's in it for me? This might hurt my finances. My plan for the future is at stake here. We don't realize how right we are. We don't know the blessings that we lose along the way as we seek to only build up our own finances, our own future. Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. 
For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? In the book of Ruth, Mr. What's-His-Name is the third person that we meet who tries to save his own life. He clings desperately to what he had, and as a consequence, he loses something far greater than he could have ever imagined. We also saw Orpah the outsider who clung to her own hopes and turned back to her own land, her own gods. And we've seen Naomi in the first chapter who in seeking to save her own life rather than trusting in God, lost everything that she held dear. But God is gracious. In losing everything, she was finally open to being brought back into the house of God. She gained far more than she could ever imagine, which we'll see more of in the conclusion of the series next week. But what we've seen so far is that her suffering and loss had meaning. They weren't meaningless, crazy, random chance things that happened, but her suffering and her loss had meaning. Without it, there was no spiritual life to speak of. There was no connection to God to speak of. There was no concept of her place in in the plan of God. There was no name and no legacy. Now, she's finally emptied of all of her own thoughts, her ambitions, her faculties, and her misguided thoughts about whether or not she has control over the rest of her life. Naomi the widow finds herself at God's mercy. And she has to do this by depending upon this outsider daughter-in-law, herself a widow, and the kindness of this stranger, Boaz. So we stand this morning in Mr. What's-His-Name's place. It's a difficult request that we face. It's impossible by this world's standards of financial security, responsibility, family values, impossible. But amazingly, we don't stand alone. Jesus Christ took our place from here. He recognized us as poor, as destitute, as wretched. And Jesus became Mr. What's-His-Name in our place for us Ruths and Naomi's. So he stood to lose everything and gain nothing in the process of redemption. So for the sake of giving us rest and refuge, redemption and a future, he gave himself. But more than a bad investment, more than a loss of inheritance, he died that we might live. There's this great reversal of fortunes that happens. As Jesus takes us in, he spreads the wing of his garment over us, we've seen this in recent weeks, that we might have a hope and a future, a name and the house of God and our name recorded in the book of life. So we have a legacy as well. And now, as beneficiaries, we're placed back into that place again. We find ourselves in Mr. What's-His-Name's place one last time for the rest of our lives. So the question is, will you redeem the outsider? Let me pray for us. Father, as often happens through your scripture, your word, we find ourselves pondering about 
what it means for our lives, how it blesses us, how it encourages us, and indeed how it challenges us. And this morning, Lord, we come away with that question. If we're placed in Mr. What's-His-Name's shoes now, what will we do? We see his foolish decision, and we see Boaz's courageous decision. And we wonder, if we were placed at that time, would we make that same decision? Would it be fiscally responsible? Would it secure our future if we didn't know the outcome? And yet amazingly, we do know the outcome. You know the way that our hearts lean. You know, Lord, our selfish ambitions and the way that we wouldn't do anything unless it meant something for us. And still you choose to redeem us. You've sent your son all of the glory of the heavenly riches to enter into poverty willingly, Lord, obediently, and to take our place that he might redeem us. You placed him in the dirt that we might rise once again and be with you. Thank you, Lord, that he exercises his right of redemption when we wouldn't. And we pray, Lord, that as those who benefit, as inheritors to the kingdom of God, that we wouldn't be stingy, that we wouldn't be so concerned with ourselves and our own futures, but that we would reach out to the lost and the least and the last, to the orphan and the widow, to those in need. May it be, Lord, that you discomfort us in our lives, with our time, with our finances. Change our hearts towards these things. Unseat them from the seat that rightfully belongs to you. And may we worship you with these things, that we might use them as the tools that they are to further your kingdom, to invite more of your children into the graces of your glory. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray.